edition of America's Godly Heritage. Today we're going to be taking a little kind of a segue off to the side here and look at a novel instead of a historical circumstance like we normally do. The novel in question is The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. And this novel has had great impact in Western civilization and particularly Christian culture for the last 350 years. It is a very important book and in particular it had great impact on the pilgrims and the Puritans and everyone who were of the more Protestant beliefs in their Christian foundation. And we're going to begin today by having a quick overview of the book and then get into some of the historical situation in which the book was written. So this book, as I said, has been, had great impact in culture, but a lot of people today are like, I've never even heard of Pilgrim's Progress, or isn't it that old dusty, fusty book, and who cares about it? And it was written so long ago, I can't even understand it anyway. Who knows? It's not a popular book. But actually, this book has been on the top of the top list of bestsellers. It comes in at having sold 250 million copies. 250 million. That's just a little bit less than the first three Harry Potter books put together. So you think Harry Potter's an all-time bestseller? You have to put three of the Harry Potter books together to get One Pilgrim's Progress. So Pilgrim's Progress, the actual full title, The Pilgrim's Progress from This World to That Which Is to Come, Delivered Under the Similitude of a Dream. Uh-oh. So right there, I've just lost some of you. <laughs> If that title is that ridiculous, I don't even want to go on with the rest of the book. Well, back then, you got to remember, they really gave the titles this big, long thing to very much explain what's going on into the book. It wasn't just a catchy title like we have today to grab somebody's attention. No, they'd have a big, long title to explain what the book was all about. So, pilgrims, what do you think of when you think of a pilgrim? Well, some people think of the American pilgrim with their black clothes and their big buckles and their have something to do with Thanksgiving and they might have a bit of a bad reputation for being grumpy and expecting people to obey all kinds of very strict rules and regulations. But that's not true and we'll get into that more in the Pilgrim's Editions of America's Godly Heritage. Other people might think of a more general thing of a pilgrim is somebody who is going on a spiritual journey. You might go on a pilgrimage to Mecca. You might go on a pilgrimage to a cathedral. You might even go on a pilgrimage to Graceland if you really, really love Elvis. But it's something that is deeply important to you, almost at a spiritual level, or actually at a spiritual level, and you're going to go to a place where it's going to impact you spiritually. So that's a pilgrim. Progress. Well, what do you think of when you think of progress? You're starting here and you're making your way over there. You're making progress, whether it's writing an essay or going on a trip or doing something in your job. You're making progress. You want to make progress in your career. 
You don't want to just stay in one place. You want to keep going upwards. So the pilgrim is going to go on a progress. They're going to try to develop spiritually, go on a spiritual journey. From this world, earth, life right now, to that which is to come, that is heaven. They're going to go on a journey, a spiritual journey, to progress in their spiritual development and eventually aim to end up in heaven. Now, the really tricky part. Delivered under the similitude of a dream. Well, a simile, which is what this word is related to, a simile is used in English to compare two items using like or as. So you could say, Lisa is as cute as a button. You're comparing Lisa with a button using as. Although why buttons are cute, I'm not sure, but that's a commonly used expression. In this case, we're using the dream because when the story begins, the narrator tells us a little bit about what's going on, and then he goes and he falls asleep and he has a dream. And the rest of the book, Christian's journey, is actually in a dream that the narrator is having. So he's delivering his story using the dream as kind of a simile or a metaphor for what's going on. And that works out well because the book is actually an allegory. What is an allegory? It's basically an extended metaphor where you're comparing things. You're saying this thing is like this thing. So it's just like a simile, except you're not using like or as. An allegory can be a story, a poem, or even a picture that becomes an extended metaphor, which means you don't just use it once, like that movie is garbage, or this pie, mm, it is love on a plate. Now your metaphor is done. An extended metaphor means you're going to keep using this comparison over and over and over again. Could be you're, you're talking about something that is complex, so you're using it to help unpack something. It could just be you use it throughout the entire story, which is what's going on in this book. The entire story is one long allegory. Why would he use allegory? Well, for one thing, it was a common tool used back in this time period. Authors in the Middle Ages and the 1500s, 1600s really liked to use the examples of the classical world. We have lots of authors in the classical world who use metaphors, similes, allegories to help get their points across, to help explain things. Some examples. First one you definitely have heard of. Aesop, Aesop's fables. All of those fables are allegories. All of the stories about the animals and they're getting up to something is an allegory to teach people about some kind of a moral quality that Aesop wants them to either avoid or to actually embrace and start putting into place in their own lives. We also have Plato, the philosopher who wrote The Republic. And part of The Republic is called The Allegory of the Cave. The Apostle John. His book of Revelation, a whole bunch of it, is allegory. We also have Dante, Dante Alighieri, in his Divine Comedy. That is an allegory. Edmund Spencer with the Fairy Queen. 
That is an allegory. And da -da, John Bunyan, The Pilgrim's Progress. That is an allegory. Another reason that they used allegory is because people tended to be uneducated back then and they needed it to be more straightforward in what the point was that they were trying to get across. So people were exposed to allegories in morality plays quite often, especially around Christmas time. And audiences knew certain characters were just the personification of a certain character trait, whether it was a vice or a virtue. You would have a character called Gluttony, and guess what? He was a glutton. You would have a character called Charity, and guess what? This person was kind and would help people and would give things to people and was generally a nice person. Bunyan then built on this. He took the character traits and he gave them more of a spiritual application. So he's using allegory to instruct readers in the faith and in the morals that they should be exhibiting as Christians, or the morals they should not be <laughs> exhibiting as Christians. So when you read Pilgrim's Progress, every element of the story, the character names, the place names, the actions that happen, the big theological discussions that happen, the dialogue, everything is got an allegory attached to it. And you need to dig into it and find out what it is that Bunyan is trying to tell you. So, for example, you have a character. The main character in the first part of the book is called Christian. And guess what he's a metaphor for? He represents all Christians. Surprise! Another example is, okay, the word lucre means money or wealth. And there is a place in the story called Hill Lucre. And guess what? It is a place where characters go off the path, the path of righteousness that they should be on, and they go and they try to obtain riches. He's not really trying to be subtle here. He's laying it right out. The names of things are what they represent. At the end of it all, He's putting all of these individual smaller pieces together to create one giant allegory. And that is the allegory of a Christian spiritual journey. Another reason that he used allegory is because even though Pilgrim's Progress is filled with 17th century Christian teachings and the cultural political climate of 17th century England, he wrote it in an allegory so that it could transcend time and place, so that people reading it back when it was first published, people reading it 100 years later, 200 years later, people reading it now, people reading it 500 years in the future, we all still can apply things to our own lives. The points being made in this book still apply to our lives. There's still things that we should be thinking about and analyzing and maybe even talking about it with other people. For 350 years now, readers have contemplated the so-called wisdom of Mr. Worldly Wise Man. They have been tricked by their own flatterer. They have been taught by their own interpreter. They have been stuck in their own swamp of despondence. They have climbed their own delightful mountains and they have found the importance of journeying together with other Christians to work towards 
the celestial city. All of that is just leading into our story. When was it published? Well, there are actually two sections of this book. Most people have heard of the first section, which is Christian's journey, the male's journey. That's pretty well known. That was published in 1678. But did you know there was actually a second half of the book where Christian's wife, Christiana, later followed him on the journey and she had her own set of adventures. Her story was published in 1684. Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress while he was in jail. Of course, the British spell it G-A-O-L as jail. It's a fun word to say. Wasn't so fun being there. And in the next few editions of America's Godly Heritage, we will go into the historical background that led up to why Bunyan ended up in jail and some more personal information about Bunyan. We learn more about who he was as a person and why he wrote these books. Suffice to say for now that he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, Part 1, as a way of entertaining his children while he was in jail and when they were coming to visit him. Today, we're reading all of these complicated theological treatises and discussions, and it's pretty heavy going. And yet, this was actually meant for his children. I'm not quite sure what that says about the state of our brains today if we struggle through what is supposed to be a children's book. But that is the way it is. I hope you enjoyed this edition of America's Godly Heritage. I hope you have a great day. Bye. If you would like to help support America's Godly Heritage or to view the resources used to make this podcast, just go to patreon.com or vimeo.com and type America's Godly Heritage in the search box. You can also make financial donations at givesendgo.com. Again, just type America's Godly Heritage in the search box. We really appreciate your support. Thanks again. Bye.